And that was a scene from the Seattle-Tacoma International Airport last Saturday where folks are protesting the travel ban put in place by President Trump to majority Muslim countries. This episode, we're going to be really be focusing on President Trump and how his policies can affect the science community. And then we're also going to jump in and talk about how we were in AMS in Seattle and when all the first executive orders started going out for Donald Trump's new presidency and how that may be affecting the future of science communication. It's Min. And it's Castle. And you're listening to Weather Hype, a podcast where we talk about weather, climate, and how it affects you. And this week, we'll throw in some politics. So stay tuned. Weather Hype is coming your way next. Now I'm the reason why you broke up with him and got back together Thought I was sunshine, but baby, I'm bad weather I'm off the Doppler in the five-day forecast By the time they hear me, I've already pushed the shore back No, no, I wasn't always like this Skies cleared soon as my daylight lit Sidewalks dried up, no snow emergency I could take you February and turn it into spring I when I get gone, I get gone And I don't need anyone to know better Put your faith in Hey, how's it going? Been like not like what five days <laughs> since I saw you? Yeah, it hasn't been too long. We uh, got to reconnect again in uh, Seattle for the AMS meeting, for the student conference, and for the annual meeting uh, that happened from Monday through Thursday. But uh, it was a lot of fun, a lot of crazy stuff that was happening. I think uh, <laughs> politically, obviously, yes. uh, but it was good to see all of our friends and cool to go to all the different sessions and learn about new things and also for the student conference chair some of the sessions as well and uh, even give away that uh, scavenger hunt prize that yeah, was cool that was really cool nice to meet some of the folks uh, that listen to weather hype it was great to meet them and also to expose ourselves to Ex- more people expose <laughs> is <that> ourselves <laughs> is that the <laughs> i think kind of spread our net is that is that better i don't know i think we're just failing when on we all say fronts. expose and spread together it just <laughs> kind of sounds really odd <laughs> We got to reach more people. How about that? There you go. Hopefully. We got to reach more people. Yeah. I hope you guys subscribed if you got those stickers. If not, we're going to take those stickers back from you. (laughs) And I guess we should say hey to all the new subscribers. If you're listening, welcome. We're glad you're here. Yeah. It'd be be great if you uh, shoot us a little message or write on our uh, Twitter page or our Facebook page to let us know you're listening. But uh, it's really cool to have gotten an opportunity to spread our message and do cool things and let you guys know more about what we do here at Weather Hype. Besides all that great stuff, we will dive into AMS a little later in the podcast and kind of give you a breakdown of everything that happened and all the fun times we had. Uh, but first, I think we're going to start with science communication and politics. But briefly, it is Groundhog's Day. and It is. Wait, who's, who saw whose shadow? Okay, so to me, it's backwards. And I don't understand why it is. We need to look up like why this myth exists. Because when they see their shadow, that means it's going to be winter longer. When they don't see their shadow, it's going to be spring sooner. Who made that up? You would think it would be the opposite, because if the sun is out, it should be getting warmer. And if it's cloudy, then it should be more longer winter, but it's the opposite. So, Well, I think it just goes to show you the idea of Groundhog's Day in general is something that we think about too much. <laughs> Uh, it's kind of like having that weather rock where it tells uh, you if it's like wet, thing. it means it's raining. <laughs> There's also a weather rod, which I think is also strange, mm. but also the farmer's almanac that we've talked about uh, plenty of times yes. on here as well. Like We tend to believe in things that are so outdated and don't make sense. And then when we have science and actual sound scientific facts and evidence, then people are like, nah, that can't be true. I'm going to believe a rodent. I don't know. It's weird. But wait, who who saw its shadow? Which um, one? Okay, so the one like... in Peachtree City that I, I can never remember their names. Beauregard. Yeah, something. Uh, he did whatever. not. Yeah, he did not. So that means spring is coming sooner. But then the one in. Oh, General Beauregard Lee. That's his name. And then the one in D.C., I think, or like Pennsylvania or somewhere up there. Punxsutawney Phil in Pennsylvania. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then he did see his shadow, so it's going to be winter longer. So they're like conflicted. So I don't know. So pretty much like a typical weather or climate forecast where <laughs> people just want to pick and choose what they like the best, yeah. right? Or like our current political climate in relation to science communication. Just pick whatever. What a great segue. Whatever <laughs> sounds best for you is what you should choose to believe. I mean, when we're at AMS... A lot of things were happening. So we were flying out last Friday or the day of the inauguration. Correct. And we knew that pretty much things were going to start happening really quickly. And so throughout the AMS meeting, you know, I'd wake up in the morning in our hotel room and be like, whoa, 
there was another alert going on. You know, they, they did this, they did that. And one of the big things that we saw were uh, the quote-unquote gag orders for the uh, Environmental Protection Agency and the National Institutes of Health, um, the EPA and the NIH. Can you talk a little bit more about that, Castle? I can't remember. I feel like it was Sunday when I really heard this news um, that these gag orders were uh, in place. And they were talking about how they were how they had frozen the EPA's funding and how like national parks and uh, like clean water programs and all this stuff was at risk of losing their funding. Yeah, that's pretty much the thing that I know about it. So they were pr- basically preventing them from uh, the EPA and like NIH and certain other organizations from releasing reports to the general public. I know specifically for the EPA that they were requiring them to go through a like a political team before they could say that they were okay to be released to the general public. Yeah. And they were also changing like the website. Uh, and I think they took down like some climate change stuff until they could reassess whether they want it on their website or not. Yeah, I think a lot of that stuff. So for those who aren't really, I don't know, um, in the scientific community, for the most part, almost every scientist I know, actually every scientist I know, you conduct the science, you conduct the research and you show what you find. You know, you don't right. hide information or and change so it. The in- or change it. The integrity of science is based on the idea that you show what you find, mm-hmm. but you're not going to tweak it in any way because that's just not ethically correct. Yes. So the idea of having scientists having to show people, like political appointees, the information they find to have it approved is very scary for scientists because we should have the freedom to show everything that we have and not having that information censored in any way mm-hmm. that's not how science works right yeah it's like having a reporter for a journalism you know newspaper or tv station having go th- having to go through the editor the editor can look at the information and you know clean it up a little bit but they should not change what the facts are uh, it's really frightening to hear that this information has to be censored and looked over by political appointees Okay, so they're politically appointed by, I guess, the president or someone on his team. Correct. Probably. And they get to look at the information and then they get to decide, oh, well, that's right. Or no, I don't like that information. Mm-hmm. You can't do that. I mean, I guess you can do yeah, that. You can do that. <laughs> but then you're lying to the American public. You're lying to the world. If you pick and choose what you want to hear, that's a problem. If you have all this data and information and it clearly points in a direction or another direction, cool. You know, like if people find research and it shows that climate change isn't happening, we're not hiding it. We're, we're going to show it too. But the, the fact of the matter is an overwhelming majority of, of science and actual research is not showing that climate change is not happening. It's showing that climate change is indeed, you know, affecting everybody all the time. Yeah. That is really scary. Well, I, th- I think <laughs> it makes me just want to vomit. Yeah, I think we need to also look at and play devil's advocate and look at the other side. So the other kind of point in this whole discussion is whether this is something that normally happens when administrations change. So there's an article with uh, the New York Post, I believe, and some other articles that kind of pointed out that this is kind of a normal thing for Uh, administration changes is for external communications to be halted temporarily for them to they can go in and train like the new people and help them understand like the certain things and how they want certain press releases done and that sort of thing so my question is is this kind of like the not not per se like hype but like all the anxiety and stuff that's fueling and going behind like donald trump as being president is all this being kind of transferred into the media and all these kind of quote unquote normal like operations, are they being kind of blown out of proportion a little? That's a fair question and fair assessment of, you know, trying to play both sides of it. There was an article or a quote from somebody who was an EPA senior advisor, I think, someone Mm -hmm. um, in the upper level of the EPA saying, none of this is really scaring him because he's gone through presidential transitions all the time. And he sees like, okay, every time there's a new administration, then things start to change. So there's no doubt and there's not a surprise that the WhiteHouse.gov websites are changing and reflecting that climate, like they're taking off the climate change information. That isn't unexpected, but it's like still a stab to everyone's heart because we all know it's real. Right. But they're taking that away and we're like, okay, cool. Because the WhiteHouse.gov websites reflect the administration and how they feel. 
that's not really surprising. I guess with the EPA information, it starts to get kind of wonky because the a lot of people have spoken about past administrations and how they handle things. And even in a Bush administration where they weren't really backing climate change that much, even if there was scientific data that proved that climate change was real, you know, that information was reviewed at a lower level and then they were never censored. They're just kind of showing the political folks, letting them be aware of that the fact that this research was found. Mm-hmm. And they're like, okay, you know, now we know. But they may not acknowledge it that much, but they're not going to hide it and they're not going to change it. As the Bush administration, they're not going to publicize it as much as they could have, but they're not going to censor it and hide it away, which I think a lot of people fear about the new upcoming administration with Trump and how his folks are probably going to try to hide it or, you know, do something else. Because we all know it's a, a hoax perpetrated by the Chinese, right? I believe what I was saying to a certain extent, like, yes, this is like a normal operation for administration change. But I think that pulling stuff down from the website or adjusting the website before you've even spoken with the EPA director or like his operatives or like all these other under people that that work at the EPA, I think it's just kind of ridiculous because it's almost like signaling to the American public that, oh, climate change doesn't exist or isn't real now because... all this information has been taken down off of the website. So I think it comes more to things that they're not saying versus and like their actions versus the things that they are saying. I agree with you. I think it's pretty messed up. But at the same time, I guess Obama's administration after he took office, I don't know how quickly they changed the website, but they definitely changed it to show that climate change was happening, Mm -hmm. which I don't think was on the websites for whitehouse.gov prior to Obama taking office in 2008. So... You know, it is what it is. It's unfortunate that these things are even debated. If it was something about how to get the economy up and going or, you know, how to do this or that, I don't have much expertise in that realm, so I can't say, but I feel like there's more room for debate. For climate change, I don't think there's any room for debating whether or not it's real, but maybe how to attack the problem. Yeah. I think that's where I have a problem with changing the website so quickly as you do, is not acknowledging that it, that exists, but also putting some kind of plan in action to reverse what the Obama administration did. Right. And that is not cool. But, I mean, we can't fight a WhiteHouse.gov website, but <laughs> we can go and do alternative Twitter accounts, the we rogue can. accounts that we, rogue uh, accounts. we've been seeing all week. So, Castle, give uh, some of the listeners an explanation as to why there are rogue accounts for Twitter now. The rogue accounts are, I'm not really sure how they get started, but I think it was just like basically like the based on the halt for external communication with the American public. So their normal Twitter accounts were not accessed. I don't know if they got like their passwords changed or whatever, but they didn't feel comfortable like saying this information like climate change is real or giving like climate change statistics or like the earth warming kind of graphics and that kind of stuff. They felt like in danger if uh, spreading that information through their actual Twitter accounts. So instead, some of the scientists that work at these organizations made what we're calling rogue accounts. So they were doing them like on their personal time after they went home and they were still continuing to throw up graphics and information and continue to communicate to the general public so that they can kind of continue the fight in communicating climate change and all these other scientific issues. Yeah, because I think during the inauguration, the National Park Service retweeted a graphic showing a comparison between Obama's inauguration and and the inauguration for Trump. And for the Trump audience or the crowd size, it was much less uh, depicted in the photo than it was for Obama in 2012, I believe. And so the White House folks were really pissed off that they showed that photo, that the National Park Service retweeted it, that they felt like it was an attack on, you know, the inauguration Mm-hmm. But their excuse for censoring the National Park Service for that weekend or whatever was because they thought that, oh, you know, there's no way the NPS actually retweeted that. We think it got hacked. That was their explanation oh. for it. So they need to investigate the hacking of the National Park Service Twitter to see because apparently the National Park Service isn't really allowed to tweet out anything about crowd size because of a controversy that happened in 1995. But they normally oh just post gosh. stuff about, you know, the beauty and nature and, and whatnot. Yeah. So... Even though the the National Mall is part of the National Park Service, I believe. Oh, really? So interesting. Yeah, it's like a not not a monument, but like and not a national park, but mm-hmm. some kind of uh, you know they call it something. There was a National Park Service for the Badlands, yes, um, in I South Dakota, this. I believe, mm-hmm. and they tweeted out something 
that was kind of like about climate change and then right. they quickly rescinded that and so a lot of folks started setting up a rogue alternate twitter account and so i think the first one that i found or saw was the national park service alternate account mm. and then nasa started doing yeah, it I saw rogue the NASA NASA one. and then cdc there was a nas there was a um alternative national weather service one too but i think that was fake Mm. because they started going really berserk and like tweeting some really <laughs> crazy things i'm like eh because you can't really verify right the alternate uh, or rogue account so that's like kind of a problem but you can tell people are really passionate on those twitter accounts and it's kind of a nice way of showing trump like well see you use twitter yeah to exactly. gain power we get to do it too even if you can't you can't censor us you know yeah do you know what the update is on all that stuff because i read in the article one of the articles that we have that we're mm -hmm. linked to you on our website showing that the ban has been lifted for the national park service they can tweet again oh. so i don't know if these rogue accounts are still active for specific reasons or because i mean obviously they can't just tweet about anything randomly that they want to right but I wonder if somebody, like an actual National Park Service account or an actual NASA account posts about climate change, I'm pretty sure they still do. They're not going to get in trouble, are they? Um, I would have to go and look at Twitter. But my expectation of these, since they now, I'm pretty sure you're right that external communications have been lifted, like the ban has been lifted, that they have been trained probably on what things they are allowed to post and what things they aren't. So I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if they were kind of less heavy on the climate change graphics and information. But I think it's just shocking that they took the tweets down. That's yeah. just like, that's another action that's just like so worrying to me that they're just trying to make it disappear without saying anything. I need to um, validate this piece of information. I don't know if it's reckless for me to say it out loud, but I heard that... Ooh. President Trump specifically called the uh, head of the National Park Service and said, uh, I'm going to need you to tweet something out about how my crowd size was actually a lot larger. Oh, yeah. Or something. I did see something about that. Also. Is that true, though? Did that actually I happen? I have no though, clue. Is what I'm... I mean, he calls okay. other, all kinds of people, so it wouldn't surprise me. But that would be insane because now you're, you're starting to dictate yeah. what people can say and what people don't say. And that's yeah. not cool. Yeah. And yeah, we can put a fight against that and, and you know fight back but at the same time if you fight back you get fired he'll just hire people who will do what he wants them to do right that's like the problem i i feel like you know a lot of people are quitting or stepping out of their offices and saying no i'm not gonna do this anymore not under him but then is he just gonna replace you with people oh, who are gonna do the job <laughs> Ugh, yeah. that's the concerning part and so that, i think that really freaks me out but i mean i don't know I mean, there's a lot of different government organizations being affected, including NOAA National Weather Service. And we'll, I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit later as well. Well, I guess with all that information, it's getting kind of difficult and it feels difficult for you know scientists all around the country and even around the world to kind of figure out how they're going to deal with this new administration how are we going to get the good information out there the scientific facts out there to the people and a secondary question to that would be how are people even going to take the information that we give them even if we're able to reach them because a lot of people don't believe in facts anymore. We've been hearing these phrases, fake news, alternative facts thrown mm. around. Yes. You know, how do we actually reach those people? And so I guess in terms of communication, we found this nifty article. Our friend Carlos sent it to us on Twitter. Mm -hmm. And it talked about using Wikipedia. It was from the AGU, the American Geophysical Union. And it talked about how scientists need to harness the power of Wikipedia and that type of website to get information out, to you know, publish their scientific findings or to update web pages and take that time and effort to do that because that's a really great way of reaching the masses. Uh, how do you feel about all that? So I have two initial thoughts on this. So I feel like the hardest thing to overcome is this trust factor when you think about Wikipedia. So as like young scientists and young researchers and students were taught not to like cite Wikipedia, like take it with a grain of salt. It should be maybe like a first place where you go and kind of get an overview of the topic before you do more diving into it, I guess. So that is my like first concern is how trustworthy does the American public or the many publics, all the different publics out there, how do they interpret this information 
like on Wikipedia, do they have these kind of trust issues that people have in the science community? And then my second issue is maybe the flip side of that, that scientists wouldn't be want to be as involved with it because of that trust issue, or they don't think that it's to their standard, or it doesn't possess the kind of rigor that science is normally associated with. So yeah, those are my concerns. But reading the article, it kind of convinced me. I think it sounds really cool. I liked the the part about how they have kind of this... Uh, this part for teachers and how they can help integrate it into the classroom and help mm-hmm. students like learn how to effectively edit an article and how to cite your sources correctly and where you go in order to like fix an article and make it better for the next individual that comes by. And so I think they're moving in the right direction as it being a optimal communication tool. I'm just interested. I think more studies potentially could be done for um, like focus groups and stuff with the general public, seeing like how frequently they use this information. Like, is it a good source for them? Do they trust it? That kind of stuff. What do you think? So this is one of those questions where I feel like, you know, yes, scientific data needs to be used to like back all of our claims. Right. But I think anecdotally and having an idea of of how the public works, I don't think that there was much of a trust issue with Wikipedia. I know Mm -hmm. like from a scholarly standpoint, you're taught not to use it and blah, blah, blah. But I use it all the time. I mean, when you look up something, don't you use it too? If you're looking up information about a celebrity or you're looking up information about something, I always click, I always actually put the word wiki after what I search sometimes to get specifically to the Wikipedia website. And I'm a researcher, I'm a scientist, but I know where my convenience comes into play and, you know, something that if people really take the time to lie about it, then yeah, it sucks. But I like to think most people don't. But I think Wikipedia can move in a direction that kind of mirrors what a peer reviewed journal does. Mm. So maybe, you know, uh, having people review that information, making sure that it's right and fact checking that information, kind of like, you know, TV stations or news outlets do during a debate or uh, also like scholarly journals do. But then again, that will put a battle between scholarly journals, you know, like what we publish in as scientists to get our word out there and, and how important it is in our business to be able to publish in a journal that has, you know, a high impact factor or things like that. Right. So it, it creates some issues. But if we're trying to reach the masses, then yeah, Wikipedia is a good way to do it. But uh, the way the system is set up now, I feel like when we publish in journals, yes, that's great. But only scientists, for the most part, have access and, and see those things unless yep, the media picks up our story. And then it's like, a study shows that chocolate is healthy for you. Or yeah. <laughs> new study finds that blah, blah, blah happens. Um, <laughs> that's the only way, for the most part, people will see or hear about our research. They might have you know, applications or our research might have applications to people. And they can see it in that way, mm-hmm. but they're never going to directly understand how it affects them until they see it on the news or circulating on social media or something like that. So I, I think it could be a really good opportunity, but I also think people need to be careful when they're looking at Wikipedia in general, like you right. know, like we've been taught to do. Two things with what you just said. So one, I actually like this idea of it kind of potentially moving in the direction of a peer-reviewed journal, but at the same time... I'm worrying that one, like sometimes when I go to Wikipedia, they're, they're, they keep, they're stating that they're about to be shut down and that they need more money. So I don't mm-hmm. think that someone is going to be able to be paid in order to go through and edit all these pages. Plus there has to be like, what, like 1 billion different Wikipedia pages. Oh, the second thing is I also worry that if it goes toward a peer reviewed journal, would that turn the public off? A little would that science communication become more technical in a way that's maybe not as understood or easily read by the general public i guess could we have two versions of it could we have a translated oh my like, lord spark note version this is getting complicated and then have a i mean we're just throwing out our ideas we're not saying what we should do is that like the technical version the cypedia <laughs> Maybe, but I mean, you know, there's spark notes for literature and, and poetry yeah. and whatnot. Why can't we do it for this? You know, mm-hmm. anybody can translate a website, but you need or translate information, but you need to have a nice, I guess, system where you do that. If I'm looking up information about, I don't know why I'm thinking about this subatomic particles, mm-hmm. you know, and there's a really complicated article about it, but then there's also five million web pages that talk about it when you're doing research. 
then all the other websites are simplifying it, but we don't know who they are or what they do. But maybe if it's like streamlined under a umbrella website like Wikipedia, mm-hmm. and it's like easier to understand, then people could be like, oh, okay, I get it. Or we can play this propaganda game and try to saturate like the internet with a bunch of websites with all of our information, even though it's real and it's factual. Because um, if people find it somewhere, they're going to be like, yeah, I, I found this article here and here I'm going to share it everywhere. Mm-hmm. Because that's the sim- that's the way that fake news is actually spreading actual fake news, where people are kind of commandeering a bunch of these random websites and then spreading their false information everywhere and it gets shared by everybody. Do we have to play the same way they do to make sure that people are getting the right information, Ugh. even if it means stooping down to the level of those who are trying to mislead on purpose? These are the questions. Oh, my Lord. That just seems like information overload theory to me i'm pretty sure that's a theory information overload but um we're already in a world that's so infused with news and information all around us and we can't escape it at any point and so just saturating it even more just like gives me hurts my brain there's so much noise out there and it's frustrating but in order to compete like you know tv stations compete right because they want to get ratings now we have to compete with fake news like, The Onion used to be a cool thing because it was clearly satirical. Now, we don't know what's satire and what's not because sometimes fake articles are written so well that they even dupe the smartest of people who read it and are like, oh, that's real. But you really have to go out of your way to find the um, source of information make sure it's real, which is so frustrating that people actually do that. But on top of that, there's this news that's written in such a way that mm-hmm. it persuades the reader or the viewer in a certain direction both sides like you know republican democrat liberal conservative whatever um both sides are doing that and so it just it sucks like we need the information but uh i can go on a tangent about this all the time but journalism (laughs) is about getting the facts out there but also it's about making a difference as well and shedding the light on the truth and so both sides are gonna feel like they have to shed the light on whatever side they feel is right and that's what i feel like is leading to such a slant in journalism and, and how one side reports it, how the other side reports it. Uh, and I guess how God sees the truth <laughs> well, looking up from above. <laughs> my question is like, what is the motive behind fake news? Like what are the people writing it, getting out of it or the group? Is it like purely for persuasion purposes or like, what is the motive I mean, behind it? If we're talking about fake news in terms of factually it completely like fabricated mm-hmm. then i i think it helped to generate revenue and views like if you oh, write so a like story ads. saying about pizzagate maybe like if you okay. write a story about how you know this pizza parlor in washington dc is like doing human trafficking they're gonna you're gonna gravitate to it because it sounds like it could be legit <laughs> i think in that way it's like sensationalism and it, it's like oh okay cool and they don't think it's gonna hurt anybody but they obviously are not smart enough to realize what harm they could do Fake news in terms of what the Trump administration calls it, I feel, is news that doesn't really reflect well on them Mm. or news that like it's the truth, but maybe it has a little bit of a, you know, liberal spin to it where they're like, like what we said earlier with the gag order for communications. Like, is that really a thing or is a liberal media making it seem much worse? That to a lot of people is fake news um, overblowing something that shouldn't be that big. And then you have the folks like like Brightheart and the conservative news outlets who are posting information and, you know, for Trump right now, sh- making things look really good for him, showing like, oh, this is great for him. He's doing really well. And their pundits and their contributors on TV, on like Fox News or other conservative outlets are like, yeah, this administration is doing so well. The transition is going really well. And then they'll start saying things like, well, the immigration travel ban happened during the Obama administration, but no one said anything then. Like, mm-hmm. where are all the liberals then? Uh, so it's similar in that way where both sides will kind of be attacking each other. And so you have to try to find a news organization that's kind of in the middle ground or pick which side you want to choose because I'm going to lean more toward the liberal side of the news because I feel like they're actually trying to find information. And I feel like they're critical of anybody as well more than the conservative folks it is what it is it's very difficult to understand the political climate and how it relates to news nowadays we just have to try the best we can and for the news i question 
with everything happening this week, all these big headlines here and there, left and right, yeah, about Iran, about um, the nuclear stuff, about everything. How are news organizations going to cover all this stuff? And what is more important than another? Right. Because the Dakota Access Pipeline stuff mm-hmm. is happening. Uh, dozens of people are getting arrested and they're going to continue with the pipeline. But we haven't heard anything about it because we keep on hearing about like the Senate committee confirmations. Right. We've been hearing a lot about that. We've been hearing a lot about um, Trump's you breakfast know, comments. Democrats. The what now? Trump's breakfast comments to about Arnold yeah. Schwarzenegger. Yeah, that and about like how he celebrated or how he said he celebrated Black History Month. Like right. there's so many things you can cover. What is going to get priority and are there going to be things that we're going to miss? Because I heard this conspiracy theory and I Ooh. hate to just always bring up conspiracy theories, conspiracy but theory. all this stuff now, the immigration ban, all this stuff about like the EPA, all of this is like a uh a mask or yeah, a charade I was, yeah that was that's that was actually one of my questions oh to it's tough right because well, i don't i don't know what's going to happen i don't know what they're yeah. doing behind the scenes but it's scary to think that perhaps all this stuff is a big charade because we're already the whole country is in a big hoopla but if they're planning on something behind the scenes and they're going to unveil it or kind of drop a bombshell on everybody Maybe literally, I don't know. It's going to suck because how are we going to cover it and are we going to be all taken aback when something crazy happens? We're like, holy moly, like I didn't know yeah. it was going to happen. That is something that's really scary, you know, and I'm not trying to like freak everybody out, but we right. have to be ready for that. And journalism and news, they have to be able to cover everything effectively and not just focus too much on one thing, especially when I hear stuff like, oh, is Melania Trump not in the White House living there yet? I don't right. care. Yeah. Like, why is that a big deal? Stop covering that and start dedicating your news to, like, something more important. And I think that's where they're going to start gaining their credibility a little bit, so. Well, has it always been like this? Or what makes this, or is, what makes this cycle different, I guess? First question. Second question, will it continue to get worse? Like, even if Hillary would have won the presidency, would it be like this? Would there be, like, all these different news, fake news happening, all these different side stories happening going on like would this be would take a similar track i guess is my question i think with the divisiveness of the election i think it's natural for the for the media to continue with that all the publicity they had during that time period during before the election during and then after and ride the wave now but i think it's a very everybody's curious about what's going to happen i don't think there's ever been as crazy as an election with so many modes and media uh, covering the different types of ways that they're covering this, the story as well. Because you have mm-hmm. social media, you have, you know, everything else that's crazy that we didn't have back then in the 1900s or 1800s. So <laughs> that's unique this time around. And also, even with Hillary, even if she had won, I feel like the coverage would be pretty crazy too. Because you also have to appeal to the other side, to the ones mm-hmm. that supported the loser. And, you know, for the loser, it happens to be us this time. And there was already fake news spreading around way before the decision of who won the election anyway. So either way, I feel like there would be a lot of fake news or actual fake news. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. I, I don't know the answer to all that information. I'm not like a media expert. Um, I've had experience in the media, but not to the level where I can speak on all that right. stuff. But yeah, it's, it's insane just to like think about we're already in we're week one and a half i guess almost two weeks in yeah and it's been like 11 days i think 12 days yeah everyone keeps talking like we need to take a break a mental break and do some self-care which we always talk about but (laughs) at what point do we step back and then say i can't do this anymore because people are talking about putting a filter on their facebook so they can filter out all political stories yeah but if you're doing that you're just hiding hiding away from Things that are impacting you are going to impact you. So Mm. if you do that, you're just going to let them win and you can sit back and let them do whatever they want. Like, I don't agree that you should sit back and say, well, he won. I'm going to let him do whatever he wants to do. That's not the way I see it at all. But then all at the same time, like I have to dedicate some time to like me and not worrying about this stuff. Yeah, it's. I mean, it is exhausting. It's exhausting. We have to admit it. But um, I think our friend Chris Davis, he said it really great when he told me the other night that we have to keep fighting and we cannot accept this as normal. Once we accept this as normal, that's when, like, you know, things have gone terribly yeah. wrong. I'm not going to stop fighting. I have I the youth and fervor in me, I guess. <laughs> I mean, we've been fighting lots of things for our entire careers and stuff. So 
What's one more yep. thing, right? Yeah, exactly. It's always been an uphill <laughs> battle. Now we gotta cl- we gotta climb up Mount Everest now, but eh, it's been done before. Well, maybe we should talk about what some scientists are doing in order to fight back and take a stand. So tell sure. us about the science, the March for Science. It's pretty simple. It's a, it's a march for science. Uh, it's gonna happen. <laughs> it's gonna happen April twenty second uh, of this year in Washington D.C. And a bunch of scientists, pretty much based on all the things we've talked about right before this, is mm-hmm. we're not gonna just sit back and watch this administration or people in this administration destroy science or try to silence what we do. And so I think it was saying uh, one of the slogans is "Science, not silence." We're yes. going to speak up and like we're not going to be, yeah, it, it goes well, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. But we're not going to just let them trample over us. And we're not going to be quiet about the fact that you're trying to censor us and attack what we all stand for. And honestly, science makes the world go round and science has allowed us to all understand so much more. And all the things that we have today are based a lot on our discoveries in the past and discoveries mm-hmm. that we continue to make into the future so you know to attack science is really sad and really backwards because if you're going to attack science you're attacking the progress of how we're going to proceed into the future which i think is like really 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 dumb but hey maybe because i'm a scientist i feel that way who knows yeah. but yeah. a lot of people are gonna c- converge onto washington dc and and do a march similar to the women's march that we had a couple of weeks ago and let their voice be heard you know we're gonna stand up for what we believe in and mm-hmm. I think that's really important. I know I'm planning on going. Castle, are you thinking about going? I don't know. Perhaps. Maybe. I don't know. I might do <laughs> the Atlanta one. The people very well. <laughs> I might do the Atlanta one. It's just so far okay. to go to No, DC. I feel you. I feel you. Um, and there's also one that people are organizing in Athens also. So yeah, I think it's good to show people that as scientists, we truly believe in what we do and we can make a difference. And there was a New York Times op-ed about why scientists should not protest and it pretty much says you know protesting is not going to do anything if you protest you're kind of buying into the whole political and politicalization of you know science in general and showing that oh you know now scientists are all liberals now we're all marching ha ha ha, like the women and the feminists you know but i think a science has already been politicized for quite some time that ship has sailed (laughs) yeah the ship is long gone and left the port (laughs) and then on top of that yes a march itself may not actually get anything done physically or literally but it sends a message right so my argument is as a young adult going into science i think it's really important that uh, my fellow scientists are marching and and making their voice heard because for me this is the field i'm going into and that i hope to pursue long and long into the future if i see other people embracing one another and joining this movement it gives me hope Mm-hmm. That there's a future for me and what I'm trying to do and, and what I believe in. And if we're all silent, that to me means that we're com- you know, complacent in the fact that we're just going to deal with it and we're not going to make a stand. Or we think that it's okay and that's not good either. Exactly. We don't think it's okay. And no. we're not just going to sit back. I think that's really important. This sends a message to all the youth in our country too who are you know thirsty for knowledge and want to know more about science or anything in general. Like This is not going to stop us. We're going to march and we're going to make a good... Uh, impression on the people but also Mm -hmm. the op-ed was saying that instead of marching you can go out in your community talk to students about science talk to teachers educators politicians in your local community about science and what i didn't like about the op-ed was it was an either or it was like either you march or you do that but i was like why can't you do both yeah right exactly you should do both and we actually had this conversation in my geographic thought class this week because the topic was what is science and we talked about we had to try and figure out what exactly is science how do we define it and if we consider ourselves scientists which was like this crazy philosophical discussion that i won't get into but um, at (laughs) one point we talked about the march for science and how knowing what is science may play a role in that and this piece came up the the op-ed piece and i completely agree with you why should we have to choose when being in the community is like an integral part of being a scientist? And I think we mm-hmm. need to work on that aspect even more now so that we can kind of have those one-on-one conversations with people because that's how change happens and that's how we 
get to talk to one another as humans and get to level with one another and figure out like, this is the knowledge that I have. And this is why I think it's important to you. And then we can hear their thoughts and understand where they're coming from and hopefully be able to change our language or the way that we approach things in order to talk to them or, you know, exactly that type of thing. You know, a march should not be an end all be all. It should be an impetus for taking more action locally in your community as well. You know, it's great to convene on Washington, D.C., but it's important to continue to do that work long before or long after you leave our nation's capital. I think that's a message that we can all agree with and hopefully we can stand by. Plus, the little brain hats are really cool. Hmm? Do you see the Do you see the brain hats? Oh, no, no, I didn't. Yeah. They're kind of like Ooh, the, I want one. the pink uh, cat ears that the Women's March was they weren't, using. They weren't cat ears. No, I think they were. Are, were they? Yeah. Oh, if you well, think someone about told it. me that they were they were the female anatomy, the vagina. No, I think they're like pussy cat, like cat. Oh, ears. so it was like a playoff of yeah. cats and the female anatomy. Okay, yeah. I think at gotcha. least that's what I read an article about. Oh, okay. Well, there we go. <laughs> there we go. But yeah, the brain hats are really cool. They're like knitted, and they're like they look like a brain, so they're pretty legit. And there's a video on how to make your own. So. Ooh. Yes, I want to make one. All right, <laughs> we'll, cool. po- we'll post we're that gonna, on the website. <laughs> we're going to look so fly at the climate march and the science march. <laughs> Brain hats. So you can find more information on Facebook for March for Science. If you just type in March for Science or you can go to marchforscience.com. And once you're on their website, there's a red button that says donate. And you can provide some monetary help for people who are organizing this awesome event so that they can maybe get water and food and things for participants. And I'm sure there's, I'm not really into protests, but I'm sure there's some kind of application to protest on the streets. I don't know, but maybe that I think the organizers money. are in charge of that. Yeah, I'm just saying maybe that requires money. I don't know. Yeah, that yeah, can help yeah. towards that. But at the at the end of last year, we said that we were going to try and start putting forward some organizations that we're going to be interested in helping and that we hope you will follow suit. And we actually have like a huge list that are really good organizations. So we'll continue to throw those out each month. Yeah, I, I don't think we donated in January. So I might have to backtrack and donate some for not. January, a charity in January, and then also another one for February. That was yes. something that I truly wanted to engage in. So yes, thanks you for reminding me about that. You're welcome. And we hope we reminded the listeners as well. Well, now we will fulfill our promise and dive more into AMS stuff. Fulfill our promise. Fulfill. (laughs) So, man, what was your favorite part about AMS? Or what what did you take away from it? Or what did you enjoy about it? Too many favorite parts. Okay, so I think this time around for AMS, I definitely got a lot out of it. I went to a lot of sessions dealing with communication, social science. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was fun, a lot of fun when we were chairing that panel, the social science panel during the student conference. We had uh, Dr. Susan Jocelyn, a psychologist from the University of Washington. We had Gina Esco, who's from Eastern uh, Research Group. We had uh, Jen Spinney, who's a anthropology PhD student at Western Ontario in Canada, and also we had Kim Clocko, uh, who's at the uh, at NOAA, who's doing social science work. It was so much fun bringing fantastic. that panel to students, right? Yes, and some of like the like the questions from the students were like super awesome. Like I didn't even expect some of those questions; they kind of blew me away. So I was like so pumped. What was it, like risk assessment? And risk. Well, other- it was like the biggest one was risk versus crisis communication and when the the boundary ends when you're dealing with a yeah. weather situation. That was like very interesting because that's a, it's a very interesting question. The, I'm, I'm glad. And we got a lot of good feedback from both the panelists and from the we students did. in the audience as well. So we're hoping to continue that for next year. I yes. enjoyed being on the graduate student panel with the two other folks talking about what people could expect for graduate school or if graduate school is the right choice for them and also like the time leading up into graduate school because I know a lot of kids are really nervous and especially now should they go to graduate school should they not you know and so giving them some information and shedding light on that fact was a lot of fun and you were on the panel as well for a different rotation right? I was it was a lot of fun I felt like our panel could have been more diverse like I think we could have used you or someone that had actually taken like a gap year because we didn't have that experience on our panel. So it was kind of like 
one student asked a question about it and we couldn't really answer him, but I feel like we gave the best answer that we could, but it was, it was a lot of yeah. fun. I always enjoy talking to grad students or potential grad students because I feel like when I wanted to be a grad student as a, and look at social science stuff, there wasn't anyone for me to talk to or no one that I knew yeah. of to talk to. So that's why it's important for both of us to kind of put ourselves out there and be kind of a beacon of uh, for people to ask us questions. <laughs> beacon lanyards. Yeah, with our beacon lanyards. So they can ask us questions and really get that information that we didn't have, which I think is really important for both of us. Um, what else is there? I, I know I presented a poster on my thesis research on Sunday, and I presented it again as an oral presentation on Wednesday. I got so, I was like perfectly fine during my session, like waiting to go on. All of a sudden, as I walked up to the stage, I got like really nervous and I couldn't swallow. My throat got really dry. So it was like, yeah. I felt like I couldn't even talk. And I, I know you were talking about it afterwards and saying how I, it wasn't, I wasn't as enthusiastic as I normally am. Right. And so I was kind of bummed about that but I, I know i probably should have worked on that a little bit more but uh you know it is what it is hopefully the information was received well by people and i got a lot of feedback on twitter and in person from questions so yeah uh, i guess i feel pretty okay about it i mean other than like the conference aspect of the you know ams meeting i think mm -hmm. meeting cool people new people and reconnecting with others and like really getting to see seattle was probably my favorite part i yeah. mean what did you do while you're in seattle i know we didn't spend 100% of the time together, but you did some different <laughs> things too, I think. Yeah, so my my absolutely favorite part, I felt like this AMS was like a really a perfect balance of conference and like social interaction. Yeah, I agree. Because I got to meet new people and talk to people and hang out with them and we like had dinner and got to talk afterwards and I felt like normally in previous AMSs, I tend to stick to the social science crowd or like the UGA crowd. And this time I was kind of like, you know what, I want to step out of my comfort zone a little and get to know a lot of new people. And I really am thankful for the student conference planning committee because I really felt like that gave me the nudge to like know this group of people. And that kind of mm -hmm. quickly like we had to. And plus, we've been talking to them forever on the phone. But it yeah. just it was kind of like a quick starter to make friends. And that kind of helped me later in the conference to make those quick connections with people instead of because i'm one of those people that takes a while for me to warm up to people just because i'm super shy but um <laughs> i'm getting better at it but it was yeah, also good it was it was also good because i got to hang out with my cousin she her and her boyfriend live in seattle and downtown they were like five minutes from our hotel so it was like legit i had dinner with them three nights we watched the bachelor and real housewives so i was as happy as i could be isn't it weird though that when like at an AMS meeting for the most part the people I tend to hang out with for the most majority of the rest of the week are people that we meet at the student conference. I know it's so true. It always seems to happen that way and so that's why we always try to promote people meeting each other at the student conference because not to say that during the normal meeting that people aren't as social but it's a lot more busy I suppose and you don't have as yeah. much time to socialize so the people that you not latch on to, but maybe the people that you meet and you have a good conversation with, you mm -hmm. tend to hang out with them more. And then as you go to more AMS meetings throughout the years, then you get to reconnect with the same people that you've met in the past. And that's always a lot of fun too. Yeah, for sure. But I think my favorite conference moment was something that I didn't quite expect. So we, when we were kind of off of the rotation for the graduate student panel, we were both keeping time for uh, Dr. Rick Nabb. Mm -hmm. And I felt like I learned a lot of leadership and like managerial skills from him, which was kind of like something that I wasn't expecting going into AMS. So it was really interesting to get that perspective because often it's always like about the weather or the research. And we don't always get to see like, because once you get high up enough in like the government or at any kind of institution, you move into more of a managerial position where you start managing other people and you don't get to do the work as much. So it was interesting to hear that perspective and get a lot of tips on how to do that because I don't think we get that very often. So that was yeah. cool. Plus, Dr. Rick Nabb is so cool. Um, for those who don't know, he's a National Hurricane Center director, but he's so humble, so he chill, is. and is just very laid back and very upfront with you about everything, but just has like a way of talking where you just feel really comfortable. Uh, I know I was fangirling or fanboying a little bit as well. <laughs> I, was, I thought I was uh, keeping time for his session. We talked a lot, and you know, I was talking to him about how I made those infographics for uh, oh, yeah, National Hurricane Center, and he was like, "Oh, very cool. Glad to meet you." Actually, I was like, "Yeah, 
and feels kind of nice to have the hurricane director actually be like acknowledging, <laughs> acknowledging the work you. that you do yeah, right that's cool. yeah so that felt really nice but yeah like i'm glad that we got to see the city and explore yes. and then i went up to vancouver with our friend gage drove up and stayed at airbnb in a hostel and got to look around went to a waterfall a cool suspension bridge so that i think is the start of what i like to do annually after an ams as long as i get mm. to go to ams meetings is to like travel and do stuff afterwards because i know in talking to people last year it's a good idea to just stay a couple extra days because you know the meeting ends on thursday what really right. more work are you going to get done on the friday <laughs> or saturday if you get back <laughs> so i was taking i was like oh well i might as well travel a little bit and, and you know i have my passport and yeah, I've been to Vancouver and Seattle a couple of times before, but there's always something new to discover, you know, yeah. and every time I've gone, it's with my family. So this time around with like, you know, people my age, it might be more fun and I'm of drinking age now. So that's, you know, makes it interesting. <laughs> it's double the fun. <laughs> okay. It's not double men, <laughs> but okay. Double men. Ha <laughs> <laughs> uh, But yeah, no, it was, it was a lot of fun overall. And, and looking back at it, I think it's probably one of the better AMSs overall. I agree. It, if, yeah. Yeah, we got to talk to weather hypers or hypsters, I guess is what we're calling Hip- them, which was Yeah, they're- <laughs> it was cool. Not hipsters, but hypsters. Yeah, we uh we have some more stickers to hand out. So, we'll we find do. a way to give those out to you guys, but I I had fun cuz I got to put a sticker up outside of Pike Place Market on a wall of so like cool. graffiti and posters. So, uh, that was kind of nice leaving our little touch on Seattle. So cool. And I'm glad we got a picture of it and I feel like we, yeah, we definitely tweeted it out. So if you haven't seen it, you should check it out. It's pretty sweet. <laughs> you should look it on Twitter. It's, Twitter. it's getting a lot or, of likes and shares. It's, it's uh, my, it's also my background on my personal page. So there you go. That's a true, uh, true weather hyper right there. Well, at the beginning, you teased us with this airport protest. So I think you should tell us about that. How was yeah. that like being in it and stuff? I just well, barely missed it, so, <laughs> so myself. Pretty much, uh, I got to the airport around 5 p.m. Because that was when we had to drop off the rental car. And my flight mm-hmm. wasn't until 11.59 p.m. Ooh. And so, yeah, I had a quite a long a time eye. just sitting there. Yeah, I hate red eyes, but eh, they're cheap, so what do you do? Uh, but you can't check into your uh, airline or you can't check into your uh, your flight until four hours before the um, the actual flight itself. So well, my is this flight like being the particular like, airline that does this? Uh, it might be a whole TSA thing. I'm not really sure. Because like I'm Alaska, sure. I checked in 24 hours beforehand. So well, like you can't. They can't take your bag up until uh. until four hours ahead of time. Probably because the the airplane isn't there yet, and they're gonna lose your bag if they get it too early. I assume that might be why it is. But also, it's kind of suspicious. Why would you check your check a bag in so early anyway? But you can definitely check into your flight early. Yes, gotcha, but you can't. Gotcha check your bag and i had to check back yeah your luggage i checked the luggage this time um so that meant i couldn't check in my luggage until 8 p.m so i had three hours to kill i was sitting there so bored and like so sad like man amos is over this sucks and then i hear like people chanting like all the way at the other side of the terminal Mm -hmm. and i've been kind of out of the loop because we've been traveling and doing stuff all week so i didn't i wasn't really sure i knew about the the travel ban on uh, you know, predominantly Muslim countries, but I didn't realize that people were protesting all over the airports. I, I heard about JFK because there were actually people flying into JFK in New York and they were getting stranded and detained because they uh, the rules are really complicated and no one really knew how to enforce a travel ban. So in Seattle, the same situation was happening in addition to, you know, a dozen other airports around the country. So people were protesting and it was, you know, I heard cops, I heard like airline workers freaking out like, oh, they're coming this way. And I was like, ooh. So instead of like going the opposite, like opposite direction of, you know, where they're going, I like walked towards them. And I was like, I have two big bags of luggage, my carry-on and my bag and my uh, check bag. And I'm just like rolling, 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 going down the terminal, <laughs> trying to find where all these protesters are. I see a huge mob of them with signs and they're all chanting and cheering. And then they all start walking my way. So I started taking out my camera, taking pictures and shooting some video, going on Twitter and Facebook yeah, Live. Facebook Live. That was pretty cool. Yeah, that was it was exciting to be a part of it. At first, well, I was documenting it at first. I didn't know if it was just like a we're going to run through the airport and then we're going to leave. No, nah, mm. man, they're, those people were there to stay because they're saying stuff like, you know, we're not going to leave until the people in Seattle are, are released. The detainees are released. And so at one point they're walking around. They did a few circles around the terminal through the food court area of the place where you can get to before you hit TSA security. 
And then after that, they kind of parked themselves right at TSA security, two different groups of protesters. And when I was there, it was super peaceful. You know, everyone was cheering and chanting. Everything was fine. There was a few people banging on the walls and like kind of kicking mm-hmm. things around a little bit. And that, eh, you know, I'm, I don't know if I agree with that necessarily, but it helped to get the uh, the rhythm of the, the chanting going, I guess. And so I, I pulled out my uh, phone and started recording some audio. I figured it might come in handy and showing, you know, what we were all cheering and chanting about. But I actually actively participated afterwards as well. I wasn't just recording. I was actually taking part. I truly believe, you know, that the travel ban's complete crap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and there's better ways to do it. And anyone can compare it to Obama's ban and other presidential bans as well. But there are so many differences to them that we can talk about later. But it was interesting to see how everyone was protesting. And it was great because I had all my luggage with me. And then people were like, oh, like, we can move out of the way. Like, we know you're trying to get to your flight. I was like, nah, man, my flight's not for a while. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> so I kept on protesting with them. And then finally, when I got, I had to pee really badly. I was holding it in for like hours. So I was like, all right, I'm going to have to go through TSA now because I need to find some food and I need to use the restroom. So I got through TSA fine, talked to everybody. And, you know, the cops were talking to the protesters. Things were really peaceful. And then, you know, I, I got on my flight, left, and that was that. But I heard that later on that same day, apparently that there was tear gas gas being sprayed yeah, in the terminal pepper spray also pepper yeah. gas yeah to disperse the crowd i think they were staying a little longer than maybe the police wanted to but also people were trying to break through the barricade of the police um yeah. so i don't know at what point it got violent but i know that it did and then the light mm-hmm. rail while i was protesting uh, got shut down because they didn't want protesters taking the light rail to get to the airport but what they didn't realize oh was you can also still uber or use a bus or anything <laughs> else to get to the, the airport anyway so um, it got pretty pretty tense after I left, but while I was there, it was fine. Everyone was peaceful, and we we're all chanting, cheering. The loud loud horns were going, and it was a really good effort. And I, that was kind of maybe one of my first official protests I've been a part of, mm-hmm. and completely accidental too. I didn't go to the airport thinking this was going to happen, but I'm glad I ran into it because I thought it was a great opportunity to share my voice too, and also not just to like stand there and cheer and just be a part of some you know group of people doing things to to feel included no like that wasn't why I was doing it you know I truly right. believe yeah. in the message and I think it's important and so regardless of whether you agree or disagree with the cause I was saying on Facebook that you should respect the right to protest and to voice your concern and and free speech and people yep. who are attacking that I feel like they really need to look inside of themselves and figure out why exactly are they mad that people are protesting because you can protest for anything if you have a loud voice and you want to say something go for it as long as you don't <laughs> hurt anybody else and yes. i think it works both ways anybody can protest whatever they feel and it should be fine i'm not going to critique you for protesting you know as long as it didn't hurt anybody else so that's my thoughts but it, it was a great opportunity and i was really if it really livened me up and gave me a lot of hope for the future that we're not just going to stand idly by in this country. We're actually going to take part and do something about it. Well, that sounded exciting. I'm glad you got to share that with us. Yeah, for sure. So songs of the week, maybe? Yeah. Lots do Which song of the week did you choose? So I have kind of an interesting one. So today I was doing some journal reviews and I needed to de-stress because I was really stressed out from them. Um, And also I needed some music that I didn't know the lyrics to so that I could work a little more efficiently. And so I went on my Spotify Discover page. So it basically picks songs for you every week that it thinks you'll like. And so I was just listening to that and I came across this song called Fighting for Love by Dami Eam, I'm guessing that's how you pronounce it. But she is, I'm pretty Korean maybe, that she moved to Australia when she was six years old. And so she has like an Australian accent and it's super legit. But the song is really cool. It's very like, almost like Sia-like. But yeah, it was. I really enjoyed it. And once you get to the chorus, it like starts like pump it up, jam, jam out. <laughs> it's pretty good. Yeah, I've never heard of that artist before, and it's kind of cool because we both this week chose artists that are not maybe as mainstream, but also yeah, yeah. have good music. So, you know, I was talking to uh, my friend about it, how it tends to seem like we always have pop 
music and pretty famous mm. artists and you know that's what we're doing but hey we're not as limited as i thought perhaps we we're looking outside the <laughs> box a little bit again something that sounds good i, I go for pretty easily uh my song of the week this week is unstable by zach abel and i kind of just went to youtube and scrolled a little bit and found a song that i liked and i listened to it one time i was like you know what i don't love it but i like it i like the <laughs> idea of what it means behind it um and i think we can all relate somehow sometimes to that song and how we're a little bit emotionally unstable sometimes and you know when oh, we're yeah. dealing with friendship relationship anything like that it gets kind of difficult and sometimes you do wonder if you're the right person for them or if they deserve something better you know so mm-hmm. i think in that regard that song kind of you know it, it meant a little bit more to me and and so i liked it and the rhythm was good and and whatnot too but God, I wish we could play these songs. It makes no sense that we can't or a segment doesn't have as, as much of an effect, I feel like. But I know. one day, if we have a lot of like sponsorship money, then we can actually play some one of the day. songs. But until then, we're going to expect you to look it up yourself. Yeah, we both have like it's very fighting for love and unstable, like very emotional themes. I think <laughs> it's perfect for AMS because I'm definitely feeling the emotional ties weakening and it's sad, so sad. What? So very sad. I just you feel, feel like when the I, emotional ties weakening. That sounds really sad. I mean, that's how I feel. Like it's, I felt like as I was flying away from Seattle, that like all those ties to the people that I met were just like like struggling to stay intact, and it was just heart like heartbreaking. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I went to Seattle this year trying to clear my mind, obviously, but also to understand that we're gonna meet new people, and then we may not see them for a long time. But yeah. again, like. This sounds awful, but like when you lose someone or you don't see someone for a long time, you hold on to the memories of what you did together <laughs> and then in hopes that in the future you'll see them again. Uh, hopefully this time alive. <laughs> Not dead. Oh my god. <laughs> this is, took a morbid turn. Sorry. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know... Not to say that we should become emotionally detached, because if anybody knows me, they know that I'm a very highly emotional person. <laughs> but I've learned to try to do that a little bit more, because if I hold on to people so much and knowing that I won't see them for a long time and knowing that we're all busy and we're not going to be able to keep in contact. Like I'm not expecting Mm -hmm. to Skype everybody that I met or everybody that I reconnected with, you know, like right off the bat, you know, we'll text each other every now and then and and whatnot. But I I understand distance is difficult. It makes things really hard. So you just have to appreciate the new friendships you made, the old friendship that you reconnected with in terms of, you know, people we've met in the past. And then just know that you'll maybe encounter them again hopefully you will encounter them again and if it comes down to it you'll probably be in their neighborhood sometime at some point and that way you can reconnect as well don't be so sad i understand exactly what you mean though and i know a lot of people probably can relate to you as well but it's just a part of life you move you come it's very transient you know i will always find you from once upon a time (laughs) okay you can't sing that we don't have the copyright love you Oh, wow. I'm totally gonna keep that in because I want. We don't have we don't have copyright for that. Yeah, well, I can sing it. It's like YouTube covers. You <laughs> can, can sing you? it. Is we choose not. <laughs> That's mean. I Do can't, you know I don't copyright know having, law? I'm not sure if I have deja vu right now, or if we've actually had like the podcast end in this exact way of me singing and you saying that I can't do that because it's copyright. <laughs> I don't know. I feel um, like it's probably deja vu. Probably. I'll sing a song one day, but or not. I'm um, original. <laughs> <laughs> originals it's like glee it's gonna be like here. a glee originals. yeah <laughs> it's an original, original songs what you can't sing original songs you won't get past the first when round tomorrow comes i'll be on my own oh my lord that's not glee the that, well no it's, it's it's uh whatever pitch perfect but they also pitch were talking perfect. about yeah original Flashlight. songs and how they don't work yeah we need to wrap this sucker up. Wow, I'm so glad that if you're still listening that you've continued to listen because this could be the longest <laughs> podcast we've had. But let's it's be very real. important, though. It's very important. Let's be real. You expect it to be that long. We talked about the beginning when we had a very untraditional start to yeah, the podcast. You true. were like, ooh, what is this? <laughs> and you can listen to it in two parts. Like You don't have to listen to it all at once. You can pause. It's fine. Or yeah. you can listen to us for an hour almost it's okay we're your friends so you can you can pause us we'll let you do that (laughs) yeah (laughs) all right let's wrap it up then wrap it up all right cool uh so you can find us in a variety of places as always on facebook.com slash weatherhype or at our website at weatherhypepodcast.com 
You can also find us on Twitter at weatherhype, both words, weather and hype, or you can send us an email at weatherhype at gmail.com. Of course, we always love your reviews, and I believe, Castle, that we are one of the most reviewed weather podcasts on iTunes, so uh, keep it up, guys. It's really awesome to get your feedback, um, and it's great to, to know that we're actually listened to in the weather community and beyond, so <laughs> uh, definitely uh, leave us a review, and we, we always love to hear from you. Yeah, we're actually starting to pop up when you just type in weather now, which is also very exciting so that we can get more people <laughs> listening to us. Yeah, because um, it was kind of hard before when people would type in weather and weather hype with nowhere to be seen unless you actually yeah. typed in weather hype as one word. So Yeah, but your reviews are helping, so keep them coming and we appreciate you so Wait, much. Wait, Castle, have you talked about the new website yet for us? I don't think I have. Um, so we have a new website. <laughs> um it is it has been redefined redefined reinvented um we wanted we went for more simplistic kind of approach so if you want to listen or look up some of the links and some about some of the things that we talked about on this episode you can just scroll down a little bit um on the website and you'll see like a picture of um that represents this particular episode and you click on and it goes straight to the links um and now we also have a built-in player on the page that has the podcast links so you can listen right there and click on the links while we're talking and so you can listen to the podcast and click on the links or you can listen to the podcast on while you're walking to class or driving to work or whatever you want so we're just giving everyone lots of options so that they can listen at their own pace and however they would like to do it sounds good Alrighty, i guess until next time until next time stay, stay hyped. hyped cool That was really good. I like that. No KKK, no fascist USA. No Trump. No KKK, no fascist USA. No Trump. No KKK, no fascist USA. No Trump. No KKK, no fascist USA.